Good evening, everybody. Guys, episode 159 of Locked On Browns. Uh, guys, uh, everybody, the listeners, you know, I appreciate all the reviews. Uh, you know, everybody subscribing. You know, numbers keep going up. You guys are are doing a fantastic job helping me, uh, you know, get the word out, get the, keep the show going. Uh, the support, it's been out real. It's been outrageous. I cannot thank everybody enough. Uh, here tonight, you know, we're going to continue with the draft talk. Like I said, guys, I will get into free agency, and I want to get into it. But right now, it's just so much spec. Until you actually start, you know, we, we get guys and we know who's available. It's really difficult to dig into it because you, we're going to spend a lot of shows on guys that are end up just not even leaving the city they're in. But trust me, we're going to go hard on that as soon as we possibly can. And we get the names and we know who's going to be, you know, eligible and, you know, who's, uh, you know, we're going to be able to go after. Uh, but we're going to continue with the draft talk. You know, we'll highlight some early, uh, you know, some news of the last couple of days. Uh, joining me again this evening, uh, you know, was on a little while earlier, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, a week or two ago, Mr. Ryan McChrystal from Bleacher Report, uh, you know, Browns fan at heart, you know, now a West Coaster. It seems there's a lot of guys like Ryan out there on the West Coast who came, you know, made their way out. But Ryan, uh, again, how are you? And thanks for joining us, bud. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, uh, look, I mean, the show's doing well. Uh, you know, you did a nice number. The guys obviously, you know, appreciate the fact that it's, it's not just draft talk, but you're also coming at it, you know. From a, you know a team that knows the Browns well, and you know from that perspective, you know I think that's probably why the show did as well as it did. Uh, we're going to go into the big news here. Uh, I, I guess it's still the story, you know, of Josh McDaniels. I, 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 I guess at the end of the day, you know, Indianapolis, you don't want somebody that didn't want you back. Um, Josh McDaniels, it seems weird. He was a guy, you know, in Denver, kind of destroyed his rep at the time, the way it all ended. Spent four to five years putting it all back together, and now all of a sudden, I mean, the things you see today and the things these people are saying, it seems, you know, Josh McDaniels now all of a sudden, the last four or five years, all the work he did to repair the reputation he had, it seems everybody's, you know, kind of going back to the same phrases they had, you know, after the Denver didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to evaluate this from the outside because the headline just makes him look awful, obviously, because, you know, all we see from the outside is we've been hearing for weeks that he's going to go there. The Colts announced that in the last minute he doesn't show up. Um, but then some of the other rumors I know Pro Football Talk referenced a couple times that he may have been kind of wavering on his commitment to them. And so I suspect the full story is a little bit more complex and maybe is entirely his fault that maybe Indy was really pushing hard and expecting him to commit when they maybe didn't have a full commitment. Reading between the lines, it sounds like that there's probably a little bit of a gray area that this wasn't. He told them 100% I'm in, definitely coming Sounds like there's probably a gray area there. It's just, it's so hard to judge this kind of thing. Because, you know, it's so easy for us to forget that, you know, this isn't a video game. We're sitting back watching it like it's a video game. But these are people that have to uproot their families and move across the country. And I can totally understand how McDaniels would be in New England preparing for the Super Bowl, working long hours, not really having the time to sit down and really think about it. And then the Super Bowl ends, he's got some time to think about it, and suddenly he thinks, do I really want to leave Tom Brady, Belichick, this whole situation we've got going on, to go out and to Indianapolis, of all places, and have to deal with in Andrew Luck and his injured shoulder, Jim Ursay, one of the biggest wild cards of an owner in the league. I, I could definitely understand if he sat down and finally thought about it when he had time to reflect on it and just realized, you know what, that's not the right move for me and my family. And you also wonder if it, some of it maybe came down to the fact that, you know, look, obviously everybody has, you know, their closing, you know, shop meetings at the end of the year. 
And was this the first time maybe he could sit down with Bill? He could maybe sit down with his owner and think, well, you know, maybe this is not what we think is the best thing for you. So, you know, maybe some influence came at it that way. You know, obviously it, it looks like, you know, New England, you know, sweetened, you know, his contract there and the possibilities there. And you do wonder, you know, some are saying that, you know, he's basically maybe looking at a coach-in-waiting title. And then you see today that Greg Schiano kind of pulled himself out of, you know, a fact that he was maybe going to be a part of the Patriots. So maybe Greg, you know, Greg wants his own job somewhere. So maybe his thinking was, if I go to New England and a whole, all these changes, you know, I'll be the top coordinator there. Maybe I'll have first, you know, shot at, you know, replacing Bill one day. And now he pulls that back. He's staying at Ohio State. You know, those rumors died. So maybe that was part of the reason because, you know, maybe something was promised to Josh McDaniels. I mean, there's a lot going on there. And at the end of the day for Indianapolis, you, do, you don't want somebody who at the end of the day didn't want to be there. Uh, you do feel bad for guys who took jobs thinking they were going to work with Josh McDaniels and work for Josh McDaniels. Obviously, those guys are in limbo right now. Um, there is a whole Andrew Luck, you know, the Andrew Luck elephant in the room. You know, nobody knows whether he's healthy. Nobody knows if he's going to be ready to go. So there's a lot there. Also, you look at the fact that, you know, he's walking out of New England, you know, the premier establishment that they are, and he's going into the fourth, West, fourth worst job in the AFC South right now. So, I mean, you know, a lot of factors, and, you know, it's just the way it unfolded. Obviously, you know, McDaniel's name is, you know, going to get dragged through the mud a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, he's going to be in a good position. He's still going to be working with Tom Brady. He's still going to be working for Bill Belichick. Uh, you know, so that, you know, can't blame too much on that. Uh, the, the one bit of Brown news, obviously, Scott McClune was brought in. Look, he's going to advise a lot, you know, throughout the draft process. It seems like his work is, you know, going to be valued. Uh, the Browns obviously have brought that, you know, in. It's, you know, another guy into the front office. I, I think they're doing a great job here, realizing the amount of picks they have and the premium picks they have, and they are trying to get as many decent minds in here and get as much value and as much work and as much, you know, you know, vi you know much guys watching the film, evaluating the film, full detailed reports. You know, they do not want to screw up a, a draft where they can do the damage that they can. So, so that, I think that was a pretty solid, solid hire over the weekend. Yeah, I certainly don't have anything negative to say about it. You know, he's well respected. Having his voice in there it certainly can't hurt. Um, I don't, I don't think that it makes a huge difference, though. To be honest, for two reasons: one, um, it sounds like he's going to be helping the Browns, but also, you know, sharing his thoughts with other teams as well. So it's not like he is brought in to exclusively work with the team on a so long-term basis. They're writing the bigger check. Exactly. That's what it sounds like. Just reading between the lines of all the different reports that were out there on the other day. Um, and then the other reason I don't think it matters too much is this is Dorsey's team. It, it'd be I would feel differently if we had just hired a first-time GM to take over, and having someone who's been there before could be a really big asset. But Dorsey's been there before. He came up through the scouting ranks. He knows how this goes. He's been the guy calling the shots on his own in Kansas City before. So, you know, at the end of the day, no matter who's in there telling Dorsey what, Dorsey's going to do what he wants to do. It's his decision. It, it certainly doesn't hurt to have a respected voice in there, and, and you know those two have a long relationship that dates back to their time in Green Bay, so I'm sure he does trust him more than he might trust some other people in the room. Um, so you know, I, I definitely can't say anything negative about it from that regard, but I also don't think it has any dramatic influence over the direction they're going to go on draft day. No, I, I understand that, and I think this is just you know more of a – Look, if we are going to make huge decisions, and look, when you're making seven selections in the top 97 picks, you know, 
uh, you know, top 97 picks of an NFL draft, you, you know, you want to kill yourself with information. I mean, you want every bit possible. So, you know, yep. you want to be able to pick the brains of as many quality guys that you trust that you can. So from that and, you know, strength and numbers approach, which I can't fault in, in and I totally agree with, um, you know, we'll see who's actually in the room when the decisions are being made. I think this is more just, you know, paying for premium information from, you know, guys that you have a lot of value in, in what they think. Uh, I actually left this one up to you tonight, Rye. The thing is, is I keep picking it. I wanted something a little different. And the best part for you is, you know, I said, you know what, Ryan, pick a positional group you want to focus on here a little bit this evening. And thank God, you went with my favorite. So, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't be more thrilled. Wide receiver talk is, you know, I can do it forever. Um, one thing, actually, this is a little, you know, back and forth I have with some guys today on Twitter. Um, it, the one thing is, is you just, you see now just how great the 20, 2014 group was. Uh, you know, because I remember in 1508, it's not them. It, it, look, it, I, that's going to be a once a decade, once every 12, 13, 14 years where you get 21-year-old guys, you know, who came out after junior years. Who are? You know, it's rare that you're going to get that talent pool at the position who are coming in at the right age. They all test well. They all got the production. And these guys are all wide receiver ones. And I think the further we get away from the 2014 class, we see how incredible it was. But still, there are some decent guys in this group. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that, that 2014 group was special. 2015 was a pretty deep class also. And then since then, we've seen you know more realistic classes. This year, it, I think it all depends on what you're looking for in this year's class as far as how you view it overall. If you're desperate for a wide receiver, you're probably pretty disappointed because I think you can Bears. make an argument. Yeah, a lot yeah, of Bears fans, like everyone that. keeps saying Calvin Ridley and the Bears fans, in the top 10, in the top 10? Yeah, everyone wants to keep pushing Ridley up. Some people really like Cortland Sutton, Christian Kirk. I mean, there's names that keep getting pushed up higher and higher out of desperation. But I think if, you know, I, I don't think I would draft anybody in the first round, unless maybe I was a really good team picking at the end and felt like I really need to plug a hole here and, and take someone specific to help right away. But just based on you know the value of the position and what's out there at other positions, I, I think it's possible that we could go through the whole first round without a wide receiver, which it doesn't happen often, but it happens sometimes. It wouldn't be unheard of. So I think that's a possibility. As much as everybody keeps pushing guys like Ridley up, realistically, he just he just doesn't stack up with the guys that typically go in that top 10, top 15 range. Yeah, the thing with Ridley is, and I think you have the potential of a 90 reception guy going down the line, you know, in the right offense, you know, obviously a team that, you know, is going to throw the ball 35 to 40 times a game. But when you look at it, I mean, you don't want to force him into being a one, which is what Chicago needs. And, you know, it, you know, for a team like the Bears, it, it, sorry, guys. I mean, unless an Allen Robinson hits the market, but even still you're talking about a guy coming in off an ACL, there's a reason, you know, wide receiver ones aren't available because of the fact that they are so high in demand. So you're not going to get them in free agency. And then you have the issue of, you know, the draft classes now as the years have gone on, there's not really a ton of them. So, you know, Calvin, I mean, Calvin, he really probably fits in perfectly as a wide receiver too. But, you know, the first thing is, is you know, he's going to have to deal with the fact that now he's going to go to really good quarterback play somewhere, which he's not used to. And <laughs> because, I mean, at Alabama, they didn't have to do that. You know, his numbers nope. should have been better in college, but there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve with Calvin Ridley. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one thing that 
you know, I'm glad you mentioned the 2014 class already because I think that we had those stretch of classes that were so good and guys came in like Odell Beckham and Mike Evans and they were just stars from day one. And I think we kind of forgot the old mantra that it takes three years to develop wide receiver. For a really long time, we saw that pattern, even with really talented first-round wide receivers, that it kind of took until their third year before they really took off. And we saw this run of wide receivers that just came and dominated the league right away. And it's not a realistic expectation. You're not going to find those guys every year. And so a team that needs help right away, you've got to find somewhere else to do it. And Because, you know, a Ridley could be great, but I don't think he's going to be great in 2018. I think it's going to be 2020. Um, and as I've, been, I've gone pretty deep on the wide receiver class the past couple weeks, and I've just I felt really down about the class. And when we decided that we were going to talk about wide receivers, I actually went back this afternoon um, and I watched Corey Coleman to try to get a feel for, you know, what the Browns have and like is he a guy that should be replaced kind of thing. And but I was also watching it from the perspective of he's only six months older than Calvin Ridley. Ridley's a little bit older than, older for a prospect, but Coleman's only six months older. And there is no question in my mind that right now, Corey Coleman is head and shoulders above Calvin Ridley. If he were at Alabama the past couple of years, he would have absolutely torn apart the SEC. And so I think it's just so easy to forget that these guys, they look good in the SEC, but there's other good young receivers on rosters around the league that are learning through these first couple of years. Like Coleman was not ready to come in and dominate right away. But he's developed a little bit, and he's come along, and who knows, maybe this third year, it, it is the magic year for someone like that. Because it, it just it takes time for these guys to develop. I think the biggest thing with Corey is is the health, obviously, because, I mean, the amount yeah. of reps he's missed has been terrible. Um, and, and the thing with Calvin Ridley is, you know, in another year, maybe the age would have been an issue. Like, if he were part of the 14 class, that's something that could have been held against him. I don't think he can really hold against him in this draft class, because I, I, I don't know if he has, you know, route running peers and that type of thing. So it, it was probably, you know, the way it worked out for him, it was a good year, obviously, for Calvin Ridley. Um, guys, uh, obviously, uh, locked on NBA. Uh, look, at the trade deadline tomorrow. Uh, Chris Manning, for all you Cavs fans, does a great job with locked on Cavaliers. A uh, lot of talk, a lot of smoke about what's going on with the Cavaliers. You know, whether or not they're going to upgrade, you know, I, I hear so much about this this Brooklyn pick. Everybody's so up in arms about it. Uh, but you guys might want to check on Locked On Cavs with Chris Manning. He does a great job over there. He'll have you guys covered. So, uh, you know, t- check into that up until the trade deadline. Uh, you know, maybe pick up a couple nuggets from Chris because he's always good for that. Ryan, we're going to move on here. Um, obviously, and it's going to be weird here as far as the Browns because not necessarily... There's ways to look at it where wide receiver is not necessarily a priority, but it could really be a huge priority, and very quickly. And Corey Coleman, obviously, we know the the problem has been obviously you know battling injuries, and it's not uh you know it's never been a small injury where it's always oh, going to miss this week. We'll get him back next week. It's been six, seven, eight week spells. Hello, puppy. How you doing? And also, uh, you know, and, and Josh, you know, as great as he is, you know, top five, t- six, seven talent in the league, he makes a mistake, it's it's gone forever, and then all of a sudden you're back to Sammy Coates, you're back to guys like Bryce Treggs, you're back to, you know, Higgins, and you're back to those guys, Ricardo Lewis. So as much as it, you know, some people can look at it and say, well, it's not a big priority, 
it very easily could be a huge priority. And I mean, you know, in Josh Gordon's case, it could change a lot between now, you know, as quick as free agency or as quick as the draft. It could become a huge hole. So it's it very, it's interesting in, it's, it's, you're going to have to have a lot of eyes on it as far as Browns are concerned. Yeah, I'm with you. If I think that if they get some developmental guys and they go into the season with pretty much the same, you know, the, the top of the depth chart looks the same, I'm fine with that. But I do think that you have to improve the depth because the bottom of that depth chart is pretty brutal. I think, you know, Gordon and Coleman, if they're healthy and eligible and they're your one and your two, and you got Higgins playing in the slot, I, that's an acceptable group of guys, especially when you throw Njoku in there and Duke Johnson's ability to help out of the backfield. That's a solid group. There are definitely teams that have worse uh, receivers out there than that group when you factor in the tight end and running back that the Browns have. Um, but I think that they definitely have to get depth. They need to um, they need to target some guys late in the draft, just high upside guys, roll the dice. Because when you have this many picks, I think that's the strategy you got to use because now they're not necessarily trying to fill specific holes late, late in the draft. They can afford to just gamble. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm starting on day two. I'd be kind of disappointed if they didn't come away with a receiver on day two. Uh, even if it's not someone that you're planning to play right away, bring someone in that you think has a high upside or someone that has a specific skill set that can add to the depth. You just got to do something because, like you said, the bottom of that depth chart is really bad and you could be forced into using it at any moment. Exactly. I mean, you want to get into the spot where, you know, you're basically, you know, a guy you signed off the street six days ago is now wide receiver two. And this happened, you know, way, way too much last year. And I do think this was part of the problem with Deshaun Kaiser was it was almost like, well, man, I just met you the other day. I don't even know your jersey number. And wait a minute, I'm going to target you 10 times today. And, you know, you saw I think the jet game was one, you know, all of a sudden Bryce Treggs was a future receiver. And, you know, he had been, you know, in Cleveland for like seven days. So it, you can't have that, especially when, you know, the dots are pointing to the fact that it's going, it could be yet another young quarterback, which, you know, I'm fine with a young quarterback, but get some guys around him, you know, that work, you know, sixth, seventh round, cast-offs from three teams, things of this nature. Uh, let's, you know, give me a couple names here. I know I've got a couple. I would say right now I don't think anybody's probably helped themselves from the drop, draft process from the time games stopped to where we are now, I mean, collegiate games, that is, than James Washington from Oklahoma State. I think he showed a lot at the Senior Bowl to take away the myth that he was just, you know, some you know college receiver who could get deep in a Pac-12, I mean, in a Big 12, you know, basically pass-happy league. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he helped himself a lot at the Senior Bowl. It's hard to say how much, though, because the one thing that's easy to forget is you got to factor in the guys that he's going up against. And I know the Pac-12 gets a lot of crap for those defenses struggling at times, but he was going up against even worse uh, talent down at the Senior Bowl. That was a pretty rough group of defensive backs down there. So I do sort of take all the hype that he got down there with a little bit of grain of salt, but he was also one of the guys that I wrote down as a potential target for the Browns if he gets to day two. I think he could be a really interesting project for the Browns to try to develop into like a bigger possession slot receiver. Uh, sort of like Adam Thielen was a lot of the time in Minnesota. Um, a guy that just, you know, guys at that size, it's really easy to just design plays to get them the ball quickly in the slot and then let them run a little bit afterwards. And Washington's a guy that he kind of turns into a running back after he gets the ball in his hands. He's got a big frame. He's not afraid of contact. He'll run guys over. He's pretty quick when you get him in the open field. He can make guys miss. 
Um, so I think he's the type of big slot receiver that I think would be really interesting for the Browns to have, um, especially when they're at some point this season, maybe even from week one, bringing in another developmental young quarterback. And if you can find ways to create really easy decisions for them, I think that'd be a great way for them to do it. Well, the thing with Washington, the first thing that I took away from Mobile was it was the footwork on shorter routes. And so you saw that it's, you know, whether, you know, you didn't see it so much on tape with Oklahoma State. It seemed almost like this year they kind of just said, you know what, we're going to take our four or five shots a game deep with James, which he was extremely successful at. And the one thing I do want to give him credit for is, you know, when everybody was measured in Tuesday morning, you know, James Washington got some chuckles. Look, I, you know, I'm always going to, you know, kind of poke a little fun and rib a, little, a, rib a guy. Look, if, if you're two inches shorter than your listed size at college, it's like, bro, that stuff's only, it's only a matter of time before somebody knows. But the arm yep. length is there. The hand size is there. And I think this class, you're, you see a lot of James Washington types. Um, you know, when we, like I was saying earlier, we don't have, you know, there's no traditional number one wide receivers. You've got your guys, you know, five foot ten and change to six foot and change. You know, the route running, I think, you know, I love the fact that it's become an emphasis. You know, Michael Gallup, Michael Gallup's another guy. These guys, you know, everybody puts in the time. Everybody puts in the footwork. They get it done in that respect. And there's a bunch of guys, you know, like this. And that's where you turn them into, like you mentioned, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know sl- bigger slot guys, guys who can catch and run, possession slot guys. Because, you know, even with young quarterbacks, any quarterbacks, you've got to find a way on third, sixth, third and seven, third and eight. You've got to keep those chains moving. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is a good class for that type of receiver, and I think it's kind of what the Browns need. Higgins sort of played that role sometimes, but I, I think the ceiling with him isn't too much higher than what we already saw. Uh, so I, I think someone like Washington would be good in that role. There's also some other guys like Anthony Miller of Memphis, DJ mm-hmm. Moore of Maryland. Uh, they're kind of in that same role. They're not as physical runners after the catch as Washington can be, but in terms of height, they're kind of the same about the, right in that same range. I also think it'd be interesting to go get an even bigger guy, someone like Alan Lazard from Iowa State. He's more like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, range. And, but I think you could use him in that same way. He's not, he doesn't have the speed. He's not a deep threat like some of the other guys could potentially be. But someone that you could manufacture short targets, someone who's got good hands. Uh, and I think having a guy like that on the roster could make things a lot easier on a young quarterback, like I said. Well, and that's the thing, because it, it almost seems like it's, you know, if you're looking at the wide receiver position for this you know this this class, this group of guys, it's the yin and the yang. You've got your, you know, five foot ten to six foot guys, and then you've got your guys who were too small to be small forwards for the college basketball team. Your Auden Tates, your Lazard, your Simi Cobbs, those types. So, you know, the thing is, is you know, you find a way, and, and I do agree, because you know what, I, I think there's no issue... If, you know, Corey Coleman is healthy, you can work him in the slot. I think there's no issue if Josh Gordon stays on course, you can work him in the slot. Obviously, you know Duke can do it. You have Njoku. You have Seth DeValve. So, you know, what basically what it is is you want to do a strength in numbers and everybody's looking at the huddle, and then when they get the line of scrimmage, you, you want to be able to mix and match as much as you can. So, you know, maybe a big guy, like you mentioned as well, you know, Auden Tate is one of my favorites. I think this year kind of went a little south for him. This year went south for Every Florida State guy, you know, once Francois went down against Alabama. But I think Auden Tate would have been in line for a lot bigger year with Francois. Obviously started off with a bang against Alabama. A couple big catches, you know, against Mickey Fitzpatrick. 
how to find his way with a 170-pound quarterback that Florida State kind of just fed to the Wolves. <laughs> Different story for another day. <laughs> but some of these big guys, they play their role well. You know, they play the you know they play the big boy role at wide receiver. These guys, and if you know some of these guys, if they can test well. You know, it's going to be interesting because how are you going to put one guy on guys that are, you know, six foot four, six foot four and change, six foot five? Yeah, that's the other thing that I wrote down. I think the Browns could do. We already talked about the slot, the big slot possession receiver they could potentially target. And I think the other route that they could go, maybe on day two, but definitely on day three, if some of these guys are still available, is target the potential number one if they put in the work and the coaches develop them and everything falls in line. And the three guys that I wrote down for that are Auden Tate, Simi Cobbs, who you already mentioned, and Marshall Aitman from Oklahoma State also. I think you, you can take guys like that that there's there's work that all of those guys have to do, and they're probably not going to contribute in a huge role other than you know maybe a, you know showing up in the red zone occasionally as a weapon there. But if it all comes together, you put some work in, they come in the same class as a quarterback they're going to be with for the next four years or so, and maybe – three years down the road, you're looking at a guy who is ready to step up into that number one role. So I'd love to see them on day two or three add one, two, maybe even three of those types of receivers, just assuming that they keep all the picks that they have and you got a lot of extra stuff to play with. Spend some picks on those high upside guys that you can bring in. You know, maybe one of them doesn't make it. You know, you end up cutting some of them, but you got all these picks and now I'm going to make the roster. I'd like to see him roll the dice on one of those guys that you can bring in and develop right alongside a young quarterback for the next couple of years. No, exactly. And that's the thing with it. And, you know, these guys, and they're good in what their role is. You know, a taught, yeah, I mean, Auden Tate even ended up with 10 touchdowns last year. So, you know, he knows what he's doing there. Marcel Aitman, you know, put together some really, really good catches on balls that Mason Rudolph, Mason Rudolph threw to him to the fact that he was a bigger guy than everybody else. So these guys know how to play that type of ball. So you do want to mix and match that. And, and you know, the way it works out, if these guys end up that they do have to play more reps, that they have a role, and then it's not going to, you know, you can send them deep, you can open things up still for Duke, you can open things up still for, you know, David Njoku, whatever other running back comes on in. So that's definitely... You know, an avenue that needs to be you know addressed. It's difficult, I understand, because you know on paper, in you know if you fire up Madden, you got Corey Coleman and you got Josh Gordon. That's great, but the reality is, is you could get to week two or week three and not have either of them, and it's such a glaring hole after that. So that's something that's got to be you know addressed in that manner. Um, guys, obviously, pitchers and catchers are reporting. Uh, locked on Major League Baseball. The shows are out. The network is getting off the ground. Um, apparently they'll finish baseball free agency. That'd be nice if maybe we could get that done before spring training games actually start. Uh, so go ahead, check out uh, you know locked on MLB. Uh, almost every team is up and running at this point. So look, you know we got you covered on locked on any which way you need to. Football, basketball, baseball, locked on MLB. Go ahead and check that out. Out you know your favorite team. Obviously for all you Indians fans, that shows up and running as well. Locked on Indians. Go ahead, check it out. Uh, Ryan, now I know uh, maybe about a week or so ago, you were waxing poetic about Mr. Dante Pettis out of Washington. Uh, I was uh, Kevin King. I got to interview last year during the draft draft process. You know, I, I asked him for a couple words, and he said, "Look, he says people are kind of sleeping on the combine." He says, "Look, we test well coming out of Washington." He's like, "I think Dante is going to do better than people think." He's like, "We go through some really tough workouts." 
But uh, go ahead, give me a little thoughts on some Dante Pettis. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Pettis. Um, in a class like this, where there isn't that obvious, you know, Odell Beckham, Mike Evans superstar out there waiting, I think you can make an argument that he's the best wide receiver out there, just based on the fact that he's the most NFL ready. I think he can come in and play right away. There's definitely other guys who have a higher ceiling than him, and three to five years down the road, there's going to be a couple guys that probably prove to be better than him. But he's the least risk out of all these guys because there's going to be some receivers in this class that get taken in the second, third round that you never hear from again after draft day because they're just so underdeveloped, and some of those guys inevitably won't pan out. But Pettis is a great route runner. His hands are incredible. For a guy who isn't that big, he also has a really good catch radius just because he's so good at reading the ball and putting himself in position to make a play. So even at only about 6 feet, 200 pounds, he consistently puts himself in position to win those contested targets. And that's such a huge asset to have for a guy who doesn't have the 6'4 height where he can just go up and win above the rim like some of the bigger guys do. He wins a lot of those battles, even at his size, which makes him a, a threat in the red zone when you don't see a lot of guys who also have the speed to stretch the field like that also show up in the red zone. It's just Pettis can do a little bit of everything, and I think he's going to come in and a smart coaching staff is going to figure out what he does best right off the bat, and he can be productive. If, he, if the Browns want to take him on day two with one of those picks in the second round, I'm all for it because he can play in the slot, he can play on the outside, he, he would give the Browns that depth that we talked about that they need. You just you plug him in, and I think he's going to be a solid receiver no matter what you ask him to do. And let's not remember, and let's not forget that the guy is, you know, maybe one of the greatest returners to come out <laughs> yeah. of college football ever. So, you know, and that's the thing. When you are a team that was 0-16, you want to find a way to improve your team everywhere. And the fact that, you know, you know he can contribute to your wide receiver core and you know that's it. I mean, there's no you know auditioning for who's going to be punt returner. It's over the day he walks in. You know, I don't want to say Devin Hester because you know obviously Devin Hester ridiculously fantastic, you know NFL return man. But he's coming with a resume like that from college. So the return skills alone are enough to get him as a top 100 player. Uh, we do have a couple of listener questions for you, Ryan. And actually, you know, some of them I kind of faux pas. Don't look at. But a couple of these were actually pretty good. You know, most of the guys are joking. You know, they throw out, you know, you know, uh, you know, some things, you know. I throw out, hey, you guys want any guests? I get Sinatra back. Uh, you know, hey, guys, <laughs> any questions for this guest? Uh, we're Ross and Rachel on a break. But we got a couple of decent ones here today. Um, and this right. is, uh, Dan's a good friend of mine. Uh, at Dan905, if the Bills offered both, both first-round picks this year and a second for 19 for the fourth pick, is it enticing for the Browns? Is it something you, I mean, it's something to think about. You know, I don't know, you know, maybe if yeah. it's, you know, now that the analytics is maybe, you know, only used for evaluating players and maybe not used for the actual draft process. But go ahead, bro. I think it's, it's kind of hard for us to say from the outside because I think it just depends on what their draft board looks like and who's available. If, you know, let's say Minka Fitzpatrick or Saquon Barkley is there. Those are the two guys that we think they're probably targeting at number four. They stay put. If they have those guys locked in as, the, you know, just head and shoulders above everybody else, and that's their target, because you're not trying to stockpile picks anymore, I think you'd probably turn that down because it's better to get just a superstar and plug him in, and if that's the guy that you want no matter what, I think you just you have to just take him at this point. But if 
you know, maybe they're not targeting either one of those guys. And, you know, maybe they think that there's not a big gap between, you know, Barkley and the other, you know, running backs like Sonny Michelle, Darius Geis. Or maybe they, you know, maybe they don't love uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. Maybe they think there's some flaws in his game or whatnot. You know, maybe they'd rather target him further in the draft and they think it's a reach at number four. I, there's going to be teams that have a wide range of valuations on these guys. We tend to think that they're locked in just because every mock draft has them in the top five and every team's going to agree, but we know that's not the case. So if the Browns don't have a guy that they're absolutely in love with as a top five pick and you get an offer like that from the Bills, I think you have to do it because even though you drop really far down in the draft, then you have so much draft capital and you can't possibly use it all. So if there is somebody else that you're targeting, you know, let's say the Browns, obviously they need a cornerback. Maybe they want Denzel Ward, but they're not crazy about taking him at four. And the Bills give you an offer like that. You take that offer, and then you just start calling other teams in the top ten. Maybe you move up to number eight, nine, ten, or something like that, and you get Ward at a spot where you were more comfortable taking him. And you also, you know, maybe you come out on top in the end with some extra draft picks anyway. Yeah, well, that actually that, that's going to be a, that would be a fun question for you know closer to the draft, a little after obviously free agency, because you have to think that you know defensive, you know, the secondary is something that they're going to look to address. So if they can do it there, I mean, it will be interesting because then maybe the need for Minka wouldn't be that great. Maybe you'd okay, be okay with a Geis or a Sony Michelle as opposed to a Saquon Barkley. But you'd have to think for now that those guys are probably pretty. And, and we've kind of heard that, you know, the Browns aren't sure quarterback-wise yet. And everybody, you know, look, just take one at one, and that's what they should do and most likely what they should do. But for them to have a clear-cut corner quarterback number one now when they have not yet had the combine, pro days, sat down with these guys, everybody just chill with that. I mean, you know, you don't go buy the first house you see. You don't marry the first girl you date. <laughs> guys, it, it's a process. Just let it be as much as... You know what you're hearing from some guys, and look, these guys, you know, guys who have been former front office guys. Yes, it's okay; they can say what they want, but you do not have to take it at verbatim in February. We're still 75 something whatever days away, uh, so you know, guys, just you know, don't have to take everything so literally and get so upset. Now, this was another one, uh, Brandon King, and actually, he's a huge supporter of the show, and his. This was actually a good question the way I think he liked it. Which QB, Ryan, in your opinion, has the most to prove to the Browns of their own worth to be pick number one between combine, pro days, and interviews? I think I know who mine is, but go ahead. Well, if, if we assume that the three that they're considering, I know he said there's five, but I don't believe them. <laughs> I think there's... They're better not yeah, be. Yep. Yeah, it's Rosen, Mayfield, and Darnold. They're the three guys. And I think we can scratch... Darnold off the list as someone with questions to answer. Everybody's been around him, loves him. You know, he's got the talent. If they like him the best, there's, there's nothing he can do this offseason to change their mind. Um, but Rosen and Mayfield both potentially have questions. I think there's going to be teams with Rosen that, you know, that they realize that a lot of the stories around him are nonsense and they don't have any questions. But, you know, even if you believe that, and I know that a lot of people do, they think that that the character questions around Rosen is just a media-driven narrative. You, I personally believe that, and if you agree with me, great. But the reality is some people think that that's real, um, and maybe Dorsey is in that camp, and I think that there's a pretty good chance that he is, which is why, as we talked about last time I was on, we think Darnold's number one. 
But I think he's probably going to have questions that he wants Rosen to answer. He's just going to have to get to know him a little bit because, you know, Dorsey's an old school guy, former player, been around a long time. And, you know, that's kind of the type of person, you know, that we've seen raise questions about Rosen. So I think Rosen, he's going to want to get to know Rosen and he's going to have to be comfortable with Rosen the person. And then the obvious answer to the question is Mayfield because he's just a knucklehead. Um, you know, a lot of coaches and teammates say great things about him and who he is in the locker room, but everything we've seen on the outside raises some serious questions. So anybody considering drafting him, you're going to have to spend some time with him and get to know him. And, you know, you're going to have to get to know the person that his teammates and coaches seem to know and trust before you're willing to spend the top pick on him. I think the thing with Baker is I think Baker, if you're not with him, he gives off the you're against him mentality. And, you know, and I think he's okay with that because I think he carries a chip of what he's been through. You know, obviously, you know, wasn't highly recruited. You know, got passed over at Texas Tech for Davis Webb of all damn people, for God's sakes. So, uh, you know, I understand where he's at with that. And in the same respect, though, you can understand a GM saying, well, look, I'm on the road in Pittsburgh. The last thing I want him doing is worrying about what's going on in the crowd you know, looking yep. across the field at Ben Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell and aggravating guys like that. Uh, Josh Rosen, obviously, you know, it, it, it was actually kind of funny. Josh Rosen put out a, tweeted out an Instagram pic of him. I guess it was when he was younger as a kid or whatever. His grandmother was a Philadelphia Eagle fan, him with an Eagle jacket, you know, wearing the scarf. You know, so I, you know, it, it's funny they put it out, but you know what people are going to do with it. You know, all of a sudden, you know, now Josh Rosen, Carson Wentz has got to be traded. Get rid of Foles, <laughs> you know. Josh Rosen only play if he's an eagle. So, you know, and the thing is with Josh, he's an intelligent kid, and he kind of knows what he's doing and has some fun with it. But in the same thing, you are going to have a little concern with it. It's like, look, you know, fanning the flames within the locker room is good, but fanning the flames for, you know, 2 million people to see on social media is something that's going to give you some pause and hesitation. Yeah, definitely. With both of those guys, I, I think – chances are they're both going to come in the NFL. They're going to do what's asked of them. They're going to keep their mouth shut and they're going to be great teammates and leaders. But I do understand why some people have some questions and why they would want to just get to know them first. I mean, it makes sense. You can't fault them for, you know, they're these GMs and coaches that are going to draft these guys are betting their careers on them. And so it makes perfect sense. They're, they're going to want to get to know them. They're going to want to ask tough questions and try to figure out the type of person that they're going to be for the next five to 10 years now. It's, it's legit to ask those questions, even if it does seem silly sometimes. All right, Ron, before we let you go here, I'm going to give you this. I'm not letting you pick a wide receiver at one and four because obviously one doesn't fit the need. You're my top wide receiver scout. I love your opinion of it. I'm giving you one of these three second-round picks. Give me a guy. Give me the pick that you that – I'm going to let you make it. It's this pick. Give me the wide receiver. I think the guy I would most want in the second round, I already mentioned that I love Pettis, so I'll give you a different name that we haven't really talked about, would be Christian Kirk. Maybe he's not available in the second round, but if he is, I think he fits the role of someone that can come in and help you right away. He's small, but he's really fast, really quick, dangerous after the catch. I think he can just add something different to the offense. We've got Gordon, who's a good deep threat. We've got Coleman, who's a good deep threat. Uh, but I think if you add Christian Kirk to that mix, it's just like it's just another element that you could design some plays, get him the ball in space, and I think that you know you could just you can make the offense look a little bit different by bringing somebody who just 
he brings something different to the table. Whereas a lot of the guys that we've talked about would be sort of redundant. Obviously, it's good to have you know added value and depth and whatnot, but Kirk just brings something different to the table that we don't really have on the roster right now. His playmaking ability after the catch and just brings so hard to corral in the open field. I think he'd be a really fun player to open things up on the offense. You know, and I do like it in because it, it it does work in the if Corey Coleman, you know, God forbid another injury happens and you know you're without him, you get something from him. I think he gives you some short game. He gives you some long game. Uh, some people are kind of, you know, putting out that they have some questions about his speed, and I do love the fact that he's, you know, seeing those tweets and commenting on those tweets. <laughs> and look, you know, for these guys who, you know, people questioning your numbers, you know, look, we ain't, we're not far away from put up or shut up time. So that it's great. And you know, look, I, you know, I love all the All Star games, but I, I prefer the combine more because it's look. You know, if you didn't go to the All-Star Games and now none of these guys have been timed yet, it, this is it. This is the ultimate put-up or shut-up. This is what you are. And, you know, you are a 4-3 guy or you are a mid-4-5 guy. There's no hiding anymore. We're going to know. We're going to know soon. Definitely. Yeah, it'll be fun to see him run. I know people have brought up questions about it, but if you watch him on the field, no matter what, if he's a 4-3 or a 4-4, it doesn't matter. I mean, he, he's he's elusive. That's what he brings to the table. It's more about just that straight line speed with him. His footwork is so quick. He makes guys miss, and that, that's a dangerous weapon to have him feel. Yeah, and actually, uh, I was talking with the scout the other day who was you know high on Christian Kirk, and the one thing he said was, he's like, well, imagine if he got to go to an SEC school and he played with the same quarterback for two and a half seasons. He's like, you know, A&M has been a revolving yeah. door. He's like, and it, he's like, you don't realize how tough that is because – you know, yes, you know, the same guy was there, but you, you know, you constantly have to change to what your quarterback can do. And he said, "Look, if Christian Kirk got to play with the same quarterback for two and a half years, he's like slam dunk top twenty. Yeah, I agree. I think it could be really fun to bring him in the same class as Darnold and you know let him develop over a couple of years. Absolutely, uh, Ryan. Thank you so much, guys. Locked on Browns, episode one fifty nine. Guys, follow Ryan McChrystal on Twitter. Read all his work at Bleacher Report. Ryan does a fantastic job. Puts in a lot of, a lot of time. Uh, you know, any Browns questions, Ryan's got you. Any draft questions, Ryan's got you. Uh, appreciate you all for the support. Appreciate you all for listening. Guys, leave that five-star review. Make me look good for the big boss, Mr. David Locke. Thank you so much for your guys' uh, time. We'll be back at it tomorrow, guys.